Welcome to Women in Venture Capital, a podcast by students for students. I'm Roshvina. And I'm Anvita. And we are from the Harvard Business School. Today is a really exciting episode for us. Um, we have on the show Jennifer Fonstad. Jennifer is a serial entrepreneur and veteran venture investor with over two decades of experience in early stage tech investing, including energy and digital health. Jennifer co-founded and leads the OWL Capital Group, an early stage investment firm, and earlier co-founded Aspect Ventures. Previously, she was a managing director at DFJ, where she grew the firm from $150 million to $3.5 billion, and early on was a consultant at Bain. Jennifer received her MBA from Harvard Business School. She has been on the Forbes Midas list twice was named Deloitte's Venture Capitalist of the Year in 2016 and one of the 50 Most Powerful Moms by Working Mothers in 2017. It's a real pleasure to have you on the show today, Jennifer. Terrific. Thank you so much for having me. So um, kicking it off, your journey has been really inspiring. Um, your intro says it all. Could you start off by telling us why you decided to go into venture capital post-consulting? Sure. So interestingly enough, I had actually never heard of venture capital at all um, until I had volunteered on a political campaign. Um, one of my old colleagues when I was at Bain, um, Mitt Romney, was running for the Senate against Ted Kennedy. Um, gosh, I think it was 1994. And, uh, and he would talk about, of course, he was a venture capitalist and he would talk about his time. Um, he would talk about his time in stocking the shelves of Staples because he was the first initial investor in the company Staples and how difficult that was and talk about the business plan. We'd be out on the circuit uh, introducing Mitt to can the candidates to, to folks and he would be talking about his own entrepreneurial experience and working with Staples. And I thought that that was really intriguing to be able to work with entrepreneurs who had these new and potentially powerful and potent ideas and, and helping, uh, helping them realize them and to see what kind of companies could emerge out of that. And I just found the stories that he told on the campaign trail really inspiring. And it was something that I wanted to be a part of. And so when I was at HBS, uh, I actually uh, helped co-found what at the time was the Harvard uh, HBS Business School competition, which is now the uh, New Ventures competition. But at that time, uh, I was had been inspired by what had gone on at MIT and how it was a great way to get in touch and connect with entrepreneurs and help give them a shot to hone and develop their own business plan. So while I was there, uh, I worked pretty closely with Bill Solomon and a couple of other students to help get that launched. And that first year we had, gosh, I think over 50 business plans entered in the competition. And it was just so exciting to see these entrepreneurs with these ideas and how they were developing them. And I realized that that was what I wanted to spend my time doing was working with these companies to help them realize, realize what their ideas and realize their potential. You've clearly left a lasting impact here, Jennifer. The NVC is very much a competition all of us look forward to. And I think the number of entries from 50 has grown many fold, if not five or six times uh, more, I think. Uh, so great, uh, great to know that it was you who kind of initiated it. And it, it's very much still uh, alive and only growing. So uh, that's amazing to hear. Um, we have to talk about your experience at DFG and the fact that you helped grow the fund from $150 million to about $3.5 billion in assets under management. How was that experience and what were and how did you identify your growth strategies at that time? 
Yeah, it's a great question. And you know, we, when I joined DFJ, what really inspired me, again, getting back to my H HBS experience, was that I did one of the early uh, HBS West treks. And uh, we went out and we met with a bunch of entrepreneurs and companies and VCs. And one of the places we visited was, at that time, it was called Draper Associates. And Tim Draper was the principal. And Tim would tell amazing stories of you know, how he wanted to work with entrepreneurs who wanted to change the world. And, um, and when I uh, decided that I wanted to, to explore that as a career, um, I joined something called the Kaufman, I applied for something called the Kaufman Fellowship while I was at HBS. And uh, Draper Associates was one of the firms in that program. And I reminded him of that experience um, of my visiting with him and was lucky enough to get an interview and, and work there because really Tim had a vision for how to work with entrepreneurs in what I thought was a novel way, which is taking real risk around ideas that can change the world. There are a lot of opportunities out there for where you can add, make something better and you can make something more efficient or more uh, effective. And that's important too. But what I was really inspired by was this notion that you could really you change the way people thought about something, the way people interacted with businesses and and Tim really inspired inspired that idea. And so when when I was lucky enough to get a position through the Coffin Fellowship at DFJ, I, I really drank the Kool Aid. And so I was really engaged with uh, the firm in in identifying entrepreneurs that wanted to do that. And at the time, we were what they call always the first money in. Uh, typically, when we invested in a company, ninety percent of the companies had never received any venture money before. Um, so they would call that today seed or even pre-seed investing, whereas at the time, and we, we would call that Series A investing. Um, and we took chances on folks that many people would, you know, wouldn't take chances on and companies you may not even remember. Hot, Hotmail was sort of a company that we took an early chance on and um, that grew. And, and Tim actually conceived of the idea of, of um, putting something at the bottom of the email string where enabled it to have sort of a viral growth and that whole concept of viral growth took off. And we were early investors in um, companies like Baidu and Skype um, as well. And uh, I was an invest early investor in an HBS classmate of mine called Athena Health, uh, which Jonathan Bush, where we, uh, Jonathan and I, while at HBS taking a healthcare class um, with Reggie Herzlinger, uh, wrote the original business plan for Athena Health. And, so we were really trying to find companies that were trying to really do something different. And that message really, really, uh, really resonated um, with the investing community. And we were always willing to take risks that others weren't necessarily willing to take. And I think that's really was a key part of our growth strategy. Um, and we also thought that entrepreneurs could be everywhere. So at the time you would often meet venture capitalists in San Francisco Bay Area who would never, who refused to invest more than 30 miles or 20 miles from their, their office. They felt that there was plenty to be done around there and, uh, and that's where all of the opportunities were. And we took a different tact. We felt that the, in fact, an entrepreneur could be anywhere in the world. Uh, there was a way to catalyze that. And so we started a bunch of affiliated funds um, around the country and ultimately around the world as well as a global investment fund. And uh, we were the first firm um, to, to build a global investment fund. And so we really uh, exploded our growth, not just in terms of how we thought about the type of investing we did, but where we invested and uh, the notion of geographical 
expansion. And so that enabled us, like I said, to get into early companies like Baidu in China and working with Nicholas Zenstrom in Europe with, with Skype um, in a way that, that many other venture firms eventually followed. But that was a key part of our growth strategy. We were, we were the first and we were willing to take real risk around companies and ideas that we thought would really change and have impact on our industry and, and many others. Great. Yeah. When we talk about VC today, um, it's almost impossible to not think about, you know, the global reach of VCs. But I can imagine at the time you guys were just starting to kind of expand the footprint. It was pretty new. Um, so it's great to hear that you're one of the firms that decided to expand your investments beyond just the U.S. Um, so I want to talk in a little bit about your interest in working with entrepreneurs. So in an interview with Forbes, you mentioned that you like working with entrepreneurs directly, and it is what led you to get involved in angel investing. What part of working with entrepreneurs do you like best, and how do you think that has changed over the years? Um, well, I really, uh, what, I, what I find, as I mentioned earlier, is the inspiration around the ideas that entrepreneurs have and the passion that they have for them. Um, the most successful entrepreneurs are very passionate about what problem they're solving and how they're going to do it. And they also are, uh, they, they understand that they need to build a team of people around them that are different than them, that the idea, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting, but I believe, you know, successful startups are the, you know, one of the great sources for diversity um, in economic engine here, which is that, you can't start a company with everybody that works and thinks just like you, that that, will, that company will fail. And so good entrepreneurs early on really understand how to bring in talent that, that will challenge the status quo, that will push, push the envelope in different, different ways. And so that's been a key part of, of how I've enjoyed working with entrepreneurs and seeking new growth strategies. That's really exciting to hear. Uh, we'd love to talk a little bit more about your angel investing journey and more specifically about Broadway Angels, which, as uh, it mentions, invests in the best entrepreneurs and companies while showcasing the top women investors in venture capital and technology. Was this network of female angel investors a means to not only fulfill your desire to be an, to be an angel investor, but also work towards better representation of women in the venture capital ecosystem? So it, Broadway Angels was an opportunity that I saw where uh, bringing, t I was getting, a, I've been in this business for a long time and uh, very early on in my career, I almost never saw women entrepreneurs and very rarely saw women investors, frankly. Um, every boardroom that I was in was, I was the only woman. And, um, and I really felt like that was, that that was a lost opportunity and, uh, and every time I could find a, a woman investor or a woman entrepreneur, I, I tried really hard to work with them if I could, if I thought there was an opportunity to build something interesting. And I started to see a lot of very talented women that were uh, spinning out of some uh, or working in some very successful companies like a Google or a Facebook or Twitter. And they were starting to see opportunities, their friends that were leaving to go start a company. And they didn't know how to think about well, is that a good opportunity to invest in? How do I think that through? You know, what's what does it mean to have a important the right business model or a large market market uh, opportunity? And so they would ask questions about it and ask me about it and uh, get my input on it and share the opportunity. And I thought, well, wouldn't this be an interesting way to to codify this, where we can bring together a group of experienced investors and a group of experienced entrepreneurs and create eventually a, a, a virtual 
partner meeting where you could bring everybody's experiences together to think through whether this was a good opportunity. And so it felt like a great way to uh, double down on both women entrepreneurs as well as women investors. And so that was really the inspiration behind that. And I teamed up with two other uh, very experienced investors and, and, uh, and launched Broadway Angels about 11 years ago now. That brings us to a, a really nice transition to my next question is, in your years, uh, uh, your career in, in the VC industry, what have you observed either directly or indirectly with respect to the role of gender in the workplace? And what are your hopes for the coming years? It's a great question. And I, uh, as I mentioned early on, there really there was really a lack of women entrepreneurs and women investors. And there were, there were a few that had paved the way that I really admired and I tried to learn from. Um, but I, I wanted to see how we could continue to promote that. Um, it came up in a lot of different ways, as I mentioned. We'd, where I'd be the only person in a boardroom. Um, it was often, and I'm not shy, but it was often hard to be heard in a meeting um, uh, where you have a lot of uh, folks, you know, men often have very strong opinions. And so being that, having a different opinion and, and but, but being able to express that was was a, often a challenge. And, uh, and so it was an interesting challenge for me to do it in a way that uh, where I, where I could be heard in a positive way. And, uh, and even I learned how to shift. Sometimes I, I really struggled early on with how do I bring my message to, to into a boardroom that may be different or maybe contrarian um, that may be right or wrong, but at least make sure that I presented it in a way that people could hear and could listen. So I think that was a really early and important lesson for me. And um, and then I realized that I also wanted to bring, as we said, more women into the workplace. Um, I, I had some interesting challenges early on where, uh, like if, if an entrepreneur or an executive wasn't working out, um, I, I remember one experience where I had to, I was had to let go one of the CEOs of one of our portfolio companies. He was an older gentleman and he was very mercurial and he was very strong minded. And uh, I was actually so fearful for how he would react. I actually had to have one of my younger associates at DFJ, Sid, who was a male, strong physically, physically, physical presence, sit in the meeting with me while I fired this gentleman because I actually was concerned about how he might react from a physical perspective. So <clears throat> there's, there's, there's all kinds of stories out there where you're, you try to learn how to adapt to some of those challenges um, as a woman in that environment. I mean, I feel like the environment has really shifted significantly in the last five years, even 10. Um, there's still, of course, a number of very worthy entrepreneurs, that women that are not, you know, getting a voice and getting heard. But I do think that, and as I said this early when I started Aspect, that um, when there's an opportunity, whether it's a man or female entrepreneur, and uh, someone misses it, that uh, misses the opportunity because of their own biases, they tend to, I mean, venture is very much of a capitalist environment. Like they miss an opportunity, they make sure they don't miss it again. And you see a lot of the venture firms now hiring women because they see these incredible women that are entrepreneurs that they've been missing out on and they don't want to miss out on those those successful companies and so they're hiring people to make sure they're in those networks and um and engaging um with those entrepreneurs um, we still see enough of it in women of color um or people of color in general and so that's a new area for us to really be much more aggressive because again 
incredible um, entrepreneurs um, outside of our ethnic uh, community that we need to be able to access and support. And so that's that's an area that I, I see is really important for us going forward to be investing in and aggressively and promoting. Thanks for sharing your experiences really candidly, Jennifer. And just to layer some actual industry-wide uh, data on top of it, there are less than 14% startups overall in the community that got funded last year who actually had a representation of a woman in their founding teams who are either just found women-led or had a co-founder who was a woman. And on the VC side, less than 10% of female female investors actually have check writing positions or check writing powers. Um, so what you shared as anecdotes or what you've almost gone through um, is isn't uh, you know unusual and definitely not for good. It's it's pretty evident in the industry. You know, mentors like you will will only be the ones who will give us way into this industry and ensure that we're guided the right way. Right? I mean, we look up to women. VCs, we look up to women role models uh, who are very few, um, but then that's how uh, the chain reaction has to start and more and more women coming in uh, and getting promoted is what we look up to and, and continue bringing more people in with us. So that's that's the story of our lives for now. Uh, yeah, but like, I was, I was going to say like when, since I've been started, when I first started Aspect Forward, I've been investing in about at least 40 to 50% of my por personal portfolio of investments over the last I guess seven years now have been in women entrepreneurs. So significantly over indexing on those statistics. And, and frankly, our returns have been top 10% top, top of the industry. And I think that that speaks for itself. And I think we're going to find that uh, that will continue to change our industry because our industry is very much driven by returns. And so uh, I hope to see those numbers change across the board up to the levels they shoot, that, that we've been investing in um, across the industry. I, I couldn't agree more. And while doing our research um, for the podcast in general, um, there have been a number of reports that talk about how the financial returns are actually superior for teams that have diversity in them. So I think to an extent, there also is a need for better education for those stats to come out so people actually um, non, you know, like there's an ethical part of allowing women to have the same opportunities as men, but also there is a financial argument to also have more diversity, whether that's gender or race um, on the team. So echo everything you've said so far. Um, awesome. So we are at our final segment of the show where I'm going to have a few um, sh really short and fun um, questions for you. Go for it. All right. So my first question is a really easy one. Um, if you had to choose between a day at the beach or a day hiking, which one would it be and why? Ooh, that's a tough one for me, actually, because I love doing both. Um, I've done everything from climbing Mount Fuji and Mount Kilimanjaro to exploring many beaches around the world. So um, I do find, though, that these days a day at the beach is, clears the head um, and enables me to do a lot of reading, uh, which I don't get enough time for during my daily routine. So I may have to give a slight edge right now to the beach just because I can really expand my intellectual knowledge base while I'm enjoying a beautiful environment. Nice. And uh, speaking of reading, if you had to write your memoir today, what would the title be? That's a really good question. Um, I think it's something around living on the edge of capitalism because that's where, that's where venture capital lives. It's, it's at that cutting edge uh, and that balance of, of risk and reward and having real impact on creating new companies in a way that we can't even imagine. And I think that's very exciting. 
that's that's very true. Um, and my final question for you is: if you had to pick one person who has influenced you, um, your life personally or professionally, who would it be? Um, that's a great question. I mean, I think I'd probably say my parents. I think many people say that, um, but my father in particular um, had three daughters, and uh, he wanted to create a world where his daughters had as much opportunity as possible. And so he worked from a very young age to help broaden our perspectives, both intellectually as well as geographically, and then to challenge ourselves in an open and honest way. And I think that that's enabled me to challenge myself and explore my own limits and uh, take chances and take risks that I think, you know, would be very hard without that that confidence and um, personal strength. That's actually very similar to my answer. Uh, also, um, with a with a sibling, two girls at home is uh, I don't remember my dad ever making us feel like we couldn't achieve anything based on gender or or any biases. I totally feel what you're saying. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for being on the show. Um, this was a really fun conversation, and I'm sure our listeners will really enjoy it. Terrific. Thank you so much for having me.